Welcome into the Lockdown Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by the co-host of the Lockdown Cavaliers podcast, Chris Manning, to discuss how the Knicks offense can best attack the Cavaliers' top-ranked defense. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NBA60 and use code NBA60 for 60% off plus free shipping. And if you made Locked On Knicks your first listen today, we hope you are doing so every day. And we're now available on all platforms. That includes on YouTube and anywhere that you can find your favorite podcast. Uh, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcast. You might notice uh, not joined by Alex Wolf. Um, that is because he uh, paired off with the other host of the Locked On Cavs podcast, Evan Damrell, to talk about the Knicks' defense trying to slow down the Cavs' offense. Um, so this is going to be part one. Part two with Evan and Alex is going to drop tomorrow. But I do think this is a pretty fascinating interplay. The New York Knicks have the fourth highest offensive rating in the history of basketball. The Cleveland Cavaliers have uh, the best defense in the NBA. Um, so it's strength on strength. Who's going to win it? Uh, tune in right now to find out on Locked On Knicks. It's a crossover, Locked On Knicks, Locked On Cavs. It's me, Chris Manning. It's Gavin Shaw from Locked On Knicks. Gavin, Cavs Knicks is going to be fun. I got to tell you, if I had to rank any of these first-round series, in the East, at least, this is my number one. Obviously, I cover this team, you cover that team. Like We're going to have more inherent knowledge of these teams. But it's this series or it is Kings Warriors to me that are the series that I am most amped to see. Yeah, I would. I would certainly agree. I would maybe this this is just some latent Kings disrespect, but I would call this one more even. I, I kind of still think the Warriors are gonna like Andrew Wiggins pending, which is a big pending. I, I think the Warriors are gonna win that in in probably about six games. I I, I think this one. I said it to you pre-show. Uh, it, it's the big question. It's one we're about to discuss. If Julius Randle's healthy, I think this series is a toss-up. If if he's not, this series becomes a lot less interesting. Yeah, so here's what we have going on here on, the, on this Lockdown Knicks, Lockdown Cavs kind of two-day crossover. So Gavin and I today are going to preview the Cavs defense versus the Knicks offense or the Knicks offense versus the Cavs defense, depending on how you want to look at it. Tomorrow, uh, Alex and Evan will be talking about Cleveland's offense versus the Knicks defense. But let's start, Gavin, with Julius Randle, because to me, this is the thing that hangs over the entire series. If Julius Randle does not play, I... I you know, I, I liked some of the up-tempo stuff they can do without him on the floor, obviously. Like, that creates its own set of defensive problems. But I just don't fear the Knicks' offense nearly as much unless Randall is out there. And and I think in part is because I think the thing that has stuck out to me when Cleveland has played New York this year was there was that game in New York where Randall hit day threes. He was not particularly good or efficient inside the arc in that game, but he just confidently took 12 threes. He made eight of them. And he's had an all-NBA season. You can speak to that better than me. 
But I think he's been awesome this year, and I think that kind of scoring, in addition to what Brunson is probably going to provide, I, I think it was such a reason to believe in the Knicks in this series. And to me, I think Cleveland's advantage defense on defense gets even bigger if no Randall, if he's limited, if he does play. Yeah, I, I just think his his rim pressure is is absolutely essential for the Knicks, right? Because the the initial thing people I think have looked at this year with Randall is is the three point shooting, and he's not nearly as efficient as he was um, two years ago in the twenty twenty one season, where he's hovering around forty percent the whole year. But he's got up to dramatically higher volume. There was a point like middle of the season where he was leading the whole NBA in three point attempts. Ended up finishing eighth in that stat, missing the last five or six games of the season. Um, but it's the volume with which he gets them up. And then it's, um, I, I think, the pressure that draws from defenses and what that's allowed him to do, given that I, I would argue that he's clearly in the best shape of his entire career. He's doubled the amount of dunks he's gotten from a year ago. And then to me, the most significant thing is he went from a guy the last two years, two years ago he was making them, last year he wasn't really making them, living on a diet of highly contested mid-range jumpers to getting much closer to the rim and taking seven, eight-foot fallaways that he has the touch to hit all the time. And, and last year, the long-range middies, like, just terrible shots, always contested. He, he was basically operating as if he was Kevin Durant. He's a much-improved shooter. He's not quite that. And to me, like, I, like we're initially just talking about will he play. If he does play, how healthy is he is, is sort of the question, right? Because I want to know if he can maintain that explosiveness going to the rim. I want to just know that he can bully in Evan Mobley. And maybe if, if Mobley, like you could, to your point, you can speak to this better than I can, but if he has a weakness at this point, it's dealing with physicality. Um, can Randall um, get to his spots and also along with Mitchell Robinson dominate on the offensive glass? Yeah. So let's, let's hit on the Mobley thing first. And then we can, you can fill us in on, you know, how likely it is that he's even, you know, going to play. So I, I think the Mobley strength thing is a thing, but I do not think it's as big of a deal as you, you might think so we saw him recently defend Joel Embiid and one of the things that he did that really impressed me was he just had to navigate the size disadvantage he's at in that matchup right he, and he handled it really really well and we when, when they played Randall this year like he yes like Randall could cause problems with him in terms of a strength advantage but he also saw his arms his timing his his kind of know-how his just kind of innate ability to kind of control guys in those one-on-one matchups, it, it affects him. I think, like, the next level of him is you just won't be able to, to bully him at all and, and knock him off his spot at all. But I, he overcomes it, I think, more often than you think just because he's so good at all these other things. And I, I think, like, I think, honestly, Gavin, if, if I'm the Knicks, as much as, like, you might think, if you're them, it's like, okay, we, we have to rely on Julius. One of the things that I, th- I think teams can sometimes make a mistake on it, and don't make a ton, because like he's been so good defensively, but they kind of look at Mobley and saying like we can post on him sometimes. And like I I don't th- if you try to do that if they try to do that with Randall even in the short mid, I don't think it's gonna work out well. For you. You're gonna get some buckets, but you're not gonna get like the the efficiency kind of return on investment thing you would want. I think for that match where I think they they becomes a thing is like okay the offensive rebounding stuff with Mitchell Robinson. You know, can you beat him out in transition if you know if, if Toppin's playing the four? Like there are ways you you're obviously gonna have to find buckets there, but I I don't think like just that the strength thing is as huge of a deal as as one might think. Even if Randall is just like a definitely a thicker yeah. guy than Moby at this point. I mean, and to that point, like you, I mean, you just look at his stats in the three games that he played in. Right, first game fifteen points, second game eighteen points, third game um, he went off. He had thirty six, but that was going eight for twelve from three. So he really hasn't had a ton of success on the interior um, against the Cavs so far this year. And and to me, that's, I mean, it's going to be a swing factor in this series. 
whether he can find that because, like, if, if we can move on to, like, our next pivotal matchup for the Knicks offense against the Cavs defense, Jalen Brunson, the, the one game um, Isaac Okoro guarded him, and uh, shout-out to our guy Jonathan Macri over at Knicks Film School. Um, he, he was, like, very meticulous in, in getting these stats in his newsletter, but he basically tracked, like, every single possession that Brunson um, was guarded by Okoro, and Brunson was bad in that game. He had 14 points. He was 5 for 13 from the field. He didn't hit a single two-pointer. Um, when those two were matched up. And then you flash forward to the next game when Okoro's not there, Jalen absolutely torched um, the Cavs in the mid-range. Mm-hmm. And, and like, when I was, like, just looking at that, I was like, all right, like, that's sort of the shot that Cleveland wants to give up as a defense, right? When, when, when Allen and Mobley are on the floor, they are absolutely dominant at the rim. And, and you combine that with the fact that they allow less three-point attempts than any other team in the NBA, you kind of go to the mid-range and say, that's the spot. And when Isaac Okoro is not in the game, um, I think Brunson can cook. He, he Like last game, he took 16 shots from mid-range. He made nine of them. Um, but if Okoro's there, if Okoro's getting over screens and sticking with Jalen Brunson, I, I, I think that changes the complexion of this series. So let's just let's just kind of explore this. Like, is he going to play? Like, we, we, we were told that he was going to be updated in two weeks. I know Tibbs said stuff recently that he's doing some stuff, but it doesn't sound like he's doing everything. So, like, is is Julius Randle going to play? I think he's going to play game one. That would be my bet. I would, I, yeah, I would say that he's going to play. They might slightly, this is very anti-Tibbs. This is a bold prediction, but they might slightly limit his minutes. Um, I think he's going to play game one. Based on the latest reporting from uh, SNYZ and Begley, who's, who's the best with this stuff, it sounds like he's on the right track. You read the report on the injury and like watched it in real time and it looked like it just like looked like a high ankle sprain and that to me just like casts doubt over like what he is going to look like but like if he's good to go like you got to kind of take that at face value and see what he does and I think Gavin like you tell me like what you think about this as much as I think there is upside to the playing the playing faster and, and what topping can do for you and even going smaller you know with with a bunch of wings and guards on the floor around one big this is just like a better team right now with Julius Randle. Like that, that is just, a, like it's just a fact. Even if there are positives of the other stuff, I think like this is a team that you would trust more in the playoffs if Randle is is good to go or can be close to what he was for most of this year. Yeah. So to to your point, I mean, Obi Toppin has been just a a monster in the um, five games that Randle's missed. Twenty two points, three rebounds, three assists, shooting fifty eight percent from the floor. 44% from three and 90% from the foul line. And then you you look at some of the other box scores around the NBA, like near the end of the season, and you, you can't help but say, all right, but how real is that? Like we got to play the Pacers twice. Um, he was gr- pretty good in that Pelicans game, but o- only had 10 points when they were really going for a spot. And I, I do believe he's a much better shooter than what he's shown on the season. But he just he cannot replicate what Randall does as a creator. He's probably a better passer, but he just doesn't have nearly the same gravity that Julius Randall does. So it's it's a trade-off, right? You get some stuff offensively, but I think you lose more than you get. And weirdly enough, because Julius is not really regarded as a great defensive player, I think you lose more defensively um, because Obi just does not have the same physical capacity that Randall does on that end of the court. I know that's not really what we're talking about right now, but to me that would be honestly like maybe more significant than their offense because Obi is just a bit of a space cadet and Julius in space against Garland and Mitchell that's not a great matchup against Obi that is a to quote Zach Lowe a five alarm fire maybe maybe it's a 50 alarm fire like like it's it's not 
good news for the New York Knicks. So um, despite how well Obi's played, like I hope it gives him a lot of confidence off the bench. The Knicks absolutely need Julius Randle if they're going to win this series. Uh, Obi Toppin Space Cadet is, is now just going to be a, a phrase that is, is stuck in my head. <laughs> like thinking about him just like with the King Cardi like a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's float, floating away. You know, he can he can fly, but he can he also float sometimes. <laughs> Dayton, Dayton, Ohio's own uh, Dayton product. There you go. Let, hey, look, he's, we love Obi here. <laughs> yeah, he seems like fun. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM. It's, uh, it's the coolest game, you know, that we've played in a long time here. I think it locked down everyone that seems to have played it, loves it. And you know what? It turns out being an NBA general manager is really, really hard. You could probably, Kobe Altman and Leon Rose, I think, certainly would tell you that running a basketball organization is really hard. Although you can't really ask Leon Rose questions, which is a problem. <laughs> too soon? Too soon? Oh, anyway. man. You're, th- you're throwing shots in the ad. That's, that's tough. <laughs> Look, just, I, I'm pro media availability and, and this is, a, this is an issue with me and Kobe Altman as well. So I get very annoyed that he doesn't talk enough. But if you've had the same thought and you've wondered, hey, could I be an NBA GM? Then you should go check out Ultimate Basketball GM right now. You have to deal with challenging personalities, players, and coaches, hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and the ups and downs of, of multiple seasons. All this is in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free. Playable offline, playing the go, and as you want and when you want to. Again, a, a lot of lockdown hosts, Gavin can attest to this from our group and our Twitter DM, have just been <laughs> playing this all the time, playing through multiple seasons. It look it looks like a ton of fun. So, lockdown Cavs and lockdown Knicks listeners get a one hundred percent free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Lockdown in the game store. So, make sure to check it out to download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code. Or look it up in the app store. That's probasketballgm.com. Alden Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. All right, Gavin, I, I think now we should turn our attention to the to the point of attack defense. So Isaac Okoro it will have missed the last six regular season games with a left knee issue. I think if, if the season had been in more peril, if the playoffs had started, he would have played at some point in those six games. I think hmm. it was really a precaution. But he's going to be coming in cold into back into the playoffs, and where that leads me with with this series is Jalen Brunson, obviously. So for maybe Cavs fans who didn't watch more than a couple of Knicks games this year, can you just tell us about Jalen Brunson and why he is a guy that could be someone that causes the Cavs a lot of defensive headaches in this series? Yeah, I think he is. He is in the mix for being the most skilled scorer in basketball. That's an audacious statement, particularly for a guy who's maybe like. 20th in the NBA in, in points per game, but you got to take into account the the size factor and the fact that he is he's an elite athlete in some ways. He's like extraordinarily quick. His ability to um, decel is is pretty nuts. But in traditional basketball terms, or run jump athleticism, like he, he's not really particularly special by NBA standards. But he just has just an an extraordinarily deep bag, right? It is fakes on fakes on fakes, counters on counters on counters. Like you think you have him, and he reverse pivots, pumps, pivots back the other way, spins off the opposite foot, hits a fadeaway in your eye, and he's able to do that over and over again. 
I thought it was interesting just watching some of the clips back the way Isaac Okoro with his physicality, with his length, with his patience. I think that is the single biggest factor in guarding Jalen Brunson. Like, look, he is going to get you sometimes, but if you start getting frustrated and you start jumping at everything, that is where he will destroy you. And what's really unlocked his game at another level this year, he was heavily reliant on catch-and-shoot threes, courtesy of, like, one of the great playmakers in recent NBA history from Luka Doncic. Um, Not really much of an off-the-dribble guy. He's doubled or or tripled up his volume on off-the-dribble threes this year and and went from being about a 31-32% shooter on them to around a 40% shooter on them. So just a complete game. There's no real way to completely shut him down. You can only hope to contain him. And and to me, um, this series is going to hinge on if he can get the matchups he wants on Garland, on Donovan Mitchell, or if he's dealing with a combination of Isaac Okoro and Evan Mobley, who right right there with the Anthony Davises and Jaron Jackson Juniors of the world is the best switch big in the NBA. So I, to me, that that's maybe the biggest swing factor on offense. You go back to the last time these two teams played. When you, you hit on it in the first segment, and I think it's a great call. The Cavs really missed Okoro. That, that was highly prevalent. And, look, that was a game where I don't necessarily know how much the Cavs were, like, trying. Like, it's – March NBA basketball can be um, – how should we say, kind of laissez-faire at times, mm. right? Like you, Good you word. can just be, yeah, you know, just pulling out my, my $5 words here for <laughs> playoffs. Like you can get some nights where guys just clearly aren't as engaged and you can, you can see it. That was one of those games where like you could just tell the Cavs were like, eh, like, you know, whatever. That doesn't take away from the fact that Jalen Brunson just absolutely kicked their ASS. Like he just absolutely shredded them and he shredded Donovan Mitchell. And I think, Gavin, to me, one of the funnest things about this series is the Donovan Mitchell part of this. And I think in particular, what does Donovan Mitchell look like defensively? Because I can guarantee you that in Jalen Brunson's mind, and in Donovan Mitchell's mind, they remember last year when Donovan Mitchell got smoked repeatedly by Jalen Brunson when Mitchell was with Utah and Brunson was with Dallas. Mitchell has not been as bad defensively as he was in Utah last year by any stretch of imagination this year. But he's gotta he's gotta do it now. And not only does he get the, is this against the team that he thought he was gonna go to, that everyone in the world seemed to think he was gonna go to, but it's it's against the guy that absolutely crushed him in the playoffs last year and ended his Utah run on this very dour note. I, I, I can't wait to see like even if it's five, six times a game, just here or there, I do really wanna see how Mitchell will guard Brunson and see like just how he acquits himself this year versus last. Yeah, it's it's fascinating and you could I mean, there was, there was one play in particular um, in that last game where Mitchell switched onto him and, and Brunson just, like, like got the flyby. Mitchell tried to recover. Brunson just, like, put him in jail, got him on his hip, put the floater in. And I think, to me, like, Mitchell, same as Okoro, like, he can't he, – offensively, he can play with that emotion because he is as talented on that end of the floor as pretty much anyone I've ever seen play basketball. Um, but defensively, like, he has to stay composed on Brunson. Like, one, because Cleveland doesn't have incredible depth at the guard position. He obviously can't afford to get in foul trouble. Um, but two, um, Brunson, like, thrives off of defenders that get angry and, and want to swat a shot. And, and he is going to torture Donovan Mitchell if that is the case. Um, but I'm, I'm curious what, what you think um, Cleveland's strategy is going to be on Brunson. Like, because, because the Knicks are, they're going to try to set those screens, right? Like, if, if if Brunson is, um, or sorry, if, if Mitchell's guarding R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett's going to come up, like, I don't know, 10, 20 times a game and, and set screens for um, for Jalen Brunson, and they're going to try to get that switch. Like, do you think that's a situation where Mitchell just, like, steps up for a second and then Okora recovers? Or, like, will Cleveland allow those switches and then basically tell Evan Mobley, like, hey, you're, you're playing free safety here. you got to go help on that. 
I, I think the Randall thing could could play a part in this. I, I think you will see definitely some switching. I think from both Allen and from from Mobley. But I but I think of Okoro. The minutes Okoro is on the floor with Brunson, and it might not be minute for minute. Like I, I don't know if he's gonna play like the forty minutes tonight. Brunson is gonna probably play in the series as as it goes on. I don't know if that's where we're headed with Okoro, particularly coming off of this knee issue. I think you'll see the switching, but I also think like if 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 Randall's on there, do you want to necessarily switch that action every time? Like, do you want even if you're like Evan Mobley is going to gobble up like Brunton, you feel pretty good that he's going to go out there and like force Brunton to give up the ball or take a contested three or something? Do you want the option of like a quick swing, swing? Randall gets one on one against Darius Garland if mm-hmm. like there's there's a screening off ball or something, or like Garland or Mitchell is guarding Brunton for a given possession in, in a tight game. Um, I, I think, especially, I think particularly the lineups where there's no Coro, and it's like Karis Levert or Jetty Osmond or Danny Green or whomever the wings are. I do think you'll see a lot of switching onto Brunton and saying like, okay, like you want to play one on one ball, beat Evan Mobley one on one, beat Jared Allen one on one, and like I, I think particularly against Mobley, I think the Cavs feel will feel pretty comfortable winning, trying to bank on that being a thing. Um, yeah. But then, but then, what does that unlock elsewhere? Like, does, does you know, what does that mean for quickly? What does that mean for Randall? What does that mean for? Is there a big mismatch that the Knicks try to hunt? Like, I, I'm curious to see just how they will process and keep the ball moving. Because one of the things that has really impressed me about the Knicks is how good the offense is and how much the ball moves and how much like it is not just kind of like a older school kind of monotonous Tibbs offense. Like, there's juice to it, and and I think they will probably come in prepared for those switches and what their counters are could be a big thing that dictates the series. Yeah, I thought there there's um, a great quote this week from JB Bickerstaff where he said the Knicks are are unselfish without mm-hmm. ball movement and it's it is like a lot of like it's it's pretty basic NBA basketball. Tibbs has done a good job of ramping up the creativity as the season has gone on. There's a lot more off-ball action, like particularly these last few games with um, Emmanuel Quickly and Quinn Grimes getting significant minutes on the court together. Like you see situations where they're scream- screening for each other, and it's almost like a, like a mini version of, of Stephen Clay. I mean, the way the way Grimes has been shooting lately, that's not as outlandish of a thing to say as it would sure. normally be. But I, I say that to say it's still pretty meat and potatoes, right? And, and this is, again, this circles back to Julius Randle's health. Like the Knicks want to apply down here, downhill pressure. Like R.J. Barrett, is not doing a lot of stuff well right now. Like one of the things he's always doing well is like like he gets downhill like pretty quickly, pretty decisively. Randall this year has made it a point to get downhill quickly and decisively. Jalen Brunson like sometimes there's a bit of tunnel vision there, but he gets into the lane over and over again. You're spraying it out for threes. But what the Knicks have had since they acquired Josh Hart, since they've unlocked Isaiah Hartenstein, is they have more outlets and guys that will make the next pass and sometimes make a skip pass, make a pass to. Two spots ahead. R.J. Barrett's gotten better at that as well. And I'm curious to see how the Knicks blend their lineups. Because right now that is more of a phenomena with the bench unit. And it's kind of gotten muddled the last few games with Obi Toppin becoming a starter. But I have a feeling this is going to be a series where you see a lot of Isaiah Hardenstein. Maybe even more minutes than Mitchell Robinson. And I wonder how that plays out with him. I mean, he, he looked like Magic Johnson the other day <laughs> against the Pelicans. Like He, he was yeah. dropping some nasty no looks. Like bouncers that beat the help by like an inch. Um, he's throwing some daring passes, and Cleveland has led the NBA in forced turnovers since the All-Star break. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see like if the Knicks become more pass-happy, um, whether or not Cleveland can take advantage of that and force a bunch of turnovers, or if the Knicks are sneaking those passes through, and it gives their offense some added juice if Brunson isn't quite himself with a core on him, or Randall isn't quite himself with being guarded by Mobley and with that injury. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things, just the last thing we'll say about that last game that I thought was really, really impressive from the Knicks was, was hard chance passing. They he, he three, four times in that game just hit a simple hit a, a wing player or a guard on a simple back cut and just was pinpoint dropping these passes. And like mm. if if you're giving you know if you're giving up a couple buckets easy there and you know I don't think that was a full strength Cleveland team but if the Cavs get beat like that in close games that absolutely could could dictate a game and sort of game. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. I think um the Knicks need to dominate the bench minutes in this series. Like I think that is a matchup that they can win and since they've gotten Josh Hart, those have been amongst the best lineups in, in all of basketball, especially with the way Emmanuel quickly, rightful sixth man of the year, I'll say it right now, um, has been cooking. So um, maybe that's something we can talk about in just a sec, but I, I think that could swing the series as well. Yes. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. That is the official sports betting partner of Locked On. And look, grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. So just go to FanDuel.com backslash Locked On to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. Uh, you know, look, let's just transition over to NBA playoff basketball because that's what we're about here. They have that over at FanDuel as well. Gavin, the Cavs are six-point favorites for Game 1 on Saturday at the 6 p.m. tip. That feels like a pretty big margin. Even if I think the Cavs might win that game, I, I'd be tempted to you know hit the Knicks at plus six for, for them to cover that. Yeah, you know, I mean, that that is uh, – we, we're not sure if Julius Randle is playing, so t- take your best shot, folks. And um, if, if you if you like me and you think Julius is going to be out there, I would I would like that bet for the Knicks as well. So don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat first, but up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com backslash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, so you, we've got to, you've got a couple small things, I think, in your notebook we should hit here, Gavin. Give, hit me with one. Yeah, sure. So I, I think um, I, I, we've, we've noted him a little bit, but R.J. Barrett, to me, is, is – is, um, uh, I'm going to say, unfortunately, like the X factor in the series. And that's not, that's nothing again. Well, it's a little bit against RJ, the, the basketball player, because I just, I don't have a ton of confidence in him right now. I mean, he had a, a two game stretch uh, to end the season where he shot three for 20 from three point range. Um, he is like, since the all-star break shooting 27% uh, from three point range. That is, that is just about the lowest <laughs> amongst players taking um, as many attempts as he had, uh, post All-Star break. Um, so he has not been good shooting the basketball. Where he has been good is is making the extra pass, making the simple play. And, and obviously, look, you would I would kill for him to shoot 33% from three this series. That is all he has to do, even if the attempts are wide open. Like, like I don't need more than that. Uh, but if he does that and he consistently makes good decisions and he's able to go downhill um, on Donovan Mitchell, on Darius Garland, he's actually had a lot of success attacking Donovan Mitchell so far this season. That could swing things for the Knicks, particularly if Randall isn't at 100% because they are just, I think they're going to need the force that he plays with, just the north-south ability to to bully his way to the rim uh, because they just, there's not a lot of that on this roster. And the uh, like RJ consistently is able to crash a defense, get a lot of bodies around him. It just sort of comes down to like, all right, like, is he... Is he going to make the smart, simple play, or is he going to throw up a floater over two or three guys? And particularly with how good Evan Mobley um, and Jared Allen are at the rim, like I'm, I'm worried that he is going to try to be the hero a little bit. And, and then the other thing is like with those role players, and 
I, I guess I, I'd like to get your take on how Cleveland will defend. As I said it earlier, Cleveland allows less three-point attempts um, than any team in the NBA. Um, but there are, like, some weaknesses there. Um, the Cavs allow the ninth most corner threes in the league, and opponents shoot the third highest percentage um, on corner threes. So maybe that's the shot for the Knicks. Quinn Grimes has been cooking. Um, Emmanuel Quickly has been cooking. Like, what what do you think the balance um, Cleveland is trying to strike between, like, daring guys like Barrett and uh, maybe even Josh Hart to shoot and, and, and getting out on Quickly and Grimes? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Quickly feels like the one that if I'm them, I want to try to contain. I, and I think one of the things about this series that I would feel okay about if I'm Cleveland is quickly is going to can beat Jeff the dribble. We've seen him play these, like, really massive games. You know, think about, I think about that Boston game where, like, he really just showed out, and I was like, dang, this guy is... Like, like, the season he's having is just incredible, and the joy he plays with is incredible. But I think what you're hoping to do with guys like Rubio, guys like, you know, Levert, is like, yes, you're going to have to contain... close. You're going to have to contain close attacking. You're going to have to close out well. You're going to have to rotate well. But I think, like, only one of those guys is really the one that can break you down further than create, you know second looks on the swing I, I i think you're really trying to prioritize containing quickly and keeping him out of the, uh, the paint and, and a key part of that will be jared allen jared allen i think like mobley has surpassed him as like the the, the second best as like the kind of the cog of the Cavs defense let's say and i think he's the mobley's at least the third best player on the team now i think one of the things that will be really important is for allen to be a, a pretty controlled presence at the rim to get some blocks to kind of prevent easy drives to the lane, to be kind of not getting spun around like a top inside the paint when, when Grimes and these other guys do uh, attack the rim. Um, and, and also just to deny Hart and Shine and Robinson a little bit. The, off, the offensive rebounding thing for the Knicks is, is for yeah. Gavin, one of the things I'm really intrigued by, because this, this is one of the weaknesses that the Cavs, I think, do have. Mm-hmm. Particularly when particularly when it is one only one of the bigs on the floor they skew a little bit smaller which is kind of a funny thing to say considering they start two seven footers right like they they have this skewing small thing but like they just do not gobble up often defensive rebounds in the way you might like um to kind of just kind of maintain because you're even if you have a really good defense and they have arguably the best defense in the league it is just really hard to stop teams two times three times four times particularly when it's putbacks at the rim they get fouled it's just a layup at that point. Like you're, they, they give up just some weird stuff at times, and and particularly these lineups where it's like one of the guards, uh, Rubio or someone else, and then you know Jetty or Okoro or whomever. Those lineups have not rebounded well, and that seems like something the Knicks absolutely could feast on and, and give Cleveland some headaches. Yeah, this is a this is a great stat pointed out by a friend of our show, uh, Prez, but he noted Cleveland last in the NBA in defensive rebounding percentage post-All-Star break. The Knicks on the season, second in offensive rebounding percentage, and, and Mitchell Robinson is coming off uh, to end the regular season, a game where he got 14 offensive rebounds. So I, I think that as, as much as almost anything else we've talked about will could swing things and i guess i was just curious, like what mechanically is the issue for cleveland or is it an issue when mobley and allen are both on the floor is it oh, just yeah. the fact that the guards i mean obviously mitchell like can, can fly but is it that the guards don't contribute that much is that a isn't great in that is it that mobley and allen are just both like like kind of stick thin even, even though they're they're incredible players like like w- what do you think has been the consistent problem for cleveland there I don't think it's an issue in there on the floor. I'm trying to pull the uh, cleaning the glasses loading slow, so I can't like, check myself in this moment. But right. I think I think the issue is when it's just, just one of the. It's just one sure, of the, yeah. Because like 
Mobley in those spots is like covering all this stuff defensively, and they're stretched out. And all of the guys they're playing are small. Like Dean Wade is like a you know is like six eight six nine, but he's like not particularly, you know, like a, a super stout guy in that sense. Like you know, Lamar Stevens isn't like pulling down a ton of rebounds. Like, and then you're getting into Carousel Vert playing minutes as a three. Like Jetty Osmond is nominally playing the four at times. Like you know, Ke- like Kevin Love was on this team, and he was you know he he goes. Ultimately, like, I think I get, I know why they did it. It makes it makes sense. He's not you know providing much for Miami uh, right now either. But the the issue becomes the issue becomes that they just don't have guys who are just going to lock solid kind of knock down rebounds at this point. Um, you know, like team, so teams are against Cleveland when when Mobley and Allen are on the floor together. Uh, according to the clean the glass, the teams are are getting offensive rebounds. Um, at about a 25% clip, that is like in the top 20% of defensive rebounding lineups that they yeah. have. When it's just when it let's just for example when it's just Allen and Mobley is off, uh, that drops. I'm going to assume that this drops to. This is great podcasting. <laughs> Shout out to Ben Folk. Uh, yeah. Me pulling up. So that's actually very good when Mobley. It's just it's when it's Allen and Mobley off. Uh, that those lineups are really good at 16.6% of offensive rebounds, so it drops even further. It's really the Mobley lineups. If there's yeah. a weakness in Mobley as a five right now, it is that like the lineups with him on the floor and Allen off just do not pull up offensive rebounds. Those lineups have been great offensively. They're stretched out. Mobley can cover all these other things defensively. They have not found a solution to really kind of gobble up rebounds, it feels like, in, in those minutes. And, and so I, the, the data total doesn't exactly kind of – indicate this like the kevin and there's kevin love stuff in there that um warps it but with with mobley on the floor and no allen teams are all getting offensive rebounds at a 29.1 percent rate that is yeah. a massive that four percent does not seem like a lot if you just yeah but that, that would be i mean just for contact like that would be second in the nba in terms of it's, offensive rebounding rate it this is year, a mass so. it is a massive thing and like you will see like the the most common lineup that exists it's garland it's mitchell it's lavert it's lamar stevens and it's mobley and that lineup um, to date is giving up offensive rebounds on thirty eight point seven percent. Yeah, it's not not great. Yeah, so I guess I guess my curiosity here is is like because that is true. Um, but what's also true is that Cleveland plays at one of the slowest paces in the NBA, and that, that's also with all the turnovers that they force. Do you think Cleveland maybe tries to pivot a little bit and tries to run a little bit more when they do? secure the rebound or is that a product of like like even though they're not rebounding well they're they're trying to send so many bodies there to make up for it that they still can't really run in those situations i i think it depends i think you sh- i i think if it was me and like i'm obviously not like qualified to be a, like an nba head coach like I, no you, you you said laissez-faire earlier i think i think you're good i no, they're being like what what are we, why are you saying lot why are you talking about like economics with me yeah. like, i'm just trying to you know yeah just it's, it's like a word of the day word of the day you, you guys have thoughts on jerome powell and the fed i i'd like to discuss that with you and they'd be like you're all right you're fired um we're gonna, we're gonna get like a, a real nba coach here so the I think like I, if I, it was me, I would be like, let is let's let's just crash you let's crash the glass hard, and like let's push. I think that would be like the obvious solution. Funnily enough, Mobley is the guy that likes to do that. Mobley hmm. likes to get offensive. Re- he likes to get rebounds and he likes to go. He likes to. He doesn't wait to give it to Garland or Mitchell or Rubio. He just brings the ball up the floor and gets them gets them across into their offense. 
that is I think that is absolutely something they should do more of. I don't totally know why. I think JB's a pretty risk-averse coach. I would actually think him and Tibbs, just like very different schematic, I think, principles. But I feel like they have they share some DNA in terms of like their kind of old-schoolness, in terms of their ruggedness, in terms of their let's-play-guys-heavy-minutes-ness. And I think, to Tibbs' credit, I think like he has kind of – that pace with the personnel and the young guys has really gotten – to a point where it's very fluid. The Cavs sometimes do not feel fluid. And as good as their defense is, they don't always capitalize on that defense in a way to kind of turn the offense into a more fluid functioning thing. Yeah, I it's, it's I, I think the Knicks are going to go all out um, and, and sure. try to, I mean, these, to, your, to your point on coaching DNA, Tibbs, like for better or worse, he wants he wants to be the bully. Like he, he, was, he was, he's coaching this team in the 90s, right? Like that that is still strong with him. And as we keep noting, like if Randall's a hundred percent, if Mitch is a hundred percent, that is that is just a lot of girth, a lot of aggressiveness, and and Mitch in particular just gets to offensive rebounds. He has no business getting to, and I know Mobley can kind of match him in terms of freakishness, but I, I think the difference there is the extra three years or four years that Mitch has in the weight room on Evan Mobley. Um, and, and then I'm I'm kind of curious what the Knicks get out of offensive rebounds, like for Julius Randall. He's been so good this year at not pulling the ball out, not trying to take a fadeaway, like pumping, pumping, like using his like offensive line type of frame and just burrowing his way to the rim. And and look, there, there's going to be times where, where Mobley or Allen like gets a hand on that shot just because they're they're freaks and their arms go 50 feet. But Randall's going to get his on layups. I, I think Mitch is a different story where sometimes he doesn't go up quickly enough. Sometimes it's a little bit awkward when he lands after a rebound and he doesn't totally have his feet under him. He's become a better passer in those situations this year. And, and the guys, again, like R.J. Barrett, um, Josh Hart, who's shooting, we haven't even mentioned this, he's shooting 52% from three as a Nick. He was shooting 30% in Portland. Like, does that hold up in the playoffs? Quentin Grimes has shot 44% from three post-All-Star break. Does that hold up? Emmanuel quickly has gone up 7% this year in catch and shoot. Like, those will be the opportunities for guys like Grimes and quickly to get into their game. And I, I think that's kind of, that's maybe my final point here, just the overall youth and inexperience for the Knicks, right? Jalen Brunson was awesome last year. That was that was kind of his first playoff run as a feature player. Julius Randle really sucked last time the Knicks were in the playoffs, right? <laughs> Completely struggled against the Atlanta Hawks and, and Nate McMillan throwing two guys at him. Emmanuel quickly had, didn't really play last time around. Obi Toppin didn't really play last time around. Josh Hart seems like a quintessential playoff guy, if I can, if I can throw a cliche at you, Chris. But he's never been to the playoffs before. Um, so I'm wondering, like, if the Knicks falter under those lights, and in turn, maybe this isn't really particularly an offense-defensive question, more of just like a, a general big-picture one to end. How ready do you think Cleveland is for that moment, right? Because they lost in the play-in last year, so most of the guys haven't been there. Donovan Mitchell, young guy, he's, he's been through the wars, right? He, he's a ton of reps being the guy, and he, he's, he's a proven, bona fide playoff killer, right? Like, disrespect Donovan Mitchell on whatever you want. He, he's always been, at least offensively, spectacular in the playoffs. Um, how ready do you think Cleveland is for this? moment as a team I think they'll be ready I think Mitchell in particular is just going to be like ready to go from game one I think he's been itching for this for a little bit now I think I don't have any doubts that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley in particular are going to be ready for this I, I think like obviously I think there will be an adjustment I think like the MSG environment for game three is going to be like something they even Mitchell really has never experienced anything I think what how how like nuts that might be um, I, well you, you don't you don't think the Clippers fans quite get there 
you know, you know, I, I something tells me like that in like the bubble, you know, doesn't exactly compare to what MSG game three is going to be like, like, imagine if the Knicks take game two, mm-hmm. like game three is just like a, a zoo, you know, yeah. like just I, and personally, like, that's what I want. Like, I want to watch a series that is chaotic like that. I want to see if, you know, Donovan can have like his own version of the Trey Young kind of villain heel turn moment for Knicks fans. Like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff I want. I think he's going to be. Incredible, and I think Garland and Mobile too. Even if there is an adjustment, do you feel do you feel like quickly in in like in his kind of more exaggerated role, and in like even Barrett in a, in a bigger role, are gonna are how how do you think they look in that context? Uh, quickly, like seems to not feel like normal human emotions, like fear, anxiety, sadness. Um, to your point on the joy that he plays with, like like I don't know, he's he's like cool as a cucumber. I think I've, Brunson proved it last year. He's going to be similar. Um, RJ and Randall are are my two guys there for different reasons. RJ because not for lack of confidence. The, if there's one thing you can say about RJ Barrett, he's never lacked confidence. He's never shy. He can go three for twenty from three and shamelessly shoot twelve threes the next game. So that could help the Knicks. That could hurt the Knicks. Just depends on if the shots are going in. And I, I think the key for him again is to just stay composed and just make the simple play. And then for Julius Randle, it's handling double teams. Like I go back to the Heat game where he scored. 42 points, hit the game-winning shot. But before he hit the game-winning shot, he, he pretty much dribbled it off his foot, almost went out of bounds. He sprinted, recovered it, threw it up, and went in. But there is a sloppiness to his game. Um, and teams like the Clippers, like Miami at times, have rattled him by sending blindside double teams. And I know the Cavs like to use Evan Mobley in that role. Sometimes maybe if Isaac Okoro's not guarding Jalen Brunson, they'll use him in that role. Donovan Mitchell like has great hands, even if he lacks in some other areas defensively. So it, it's going to be on Randall to just play with a great sense of anticipation and, and and hopefully he's he's just spent this time off studying every single possession defensively Cleveland has had this season and understanding where and how JB Bickerstaff likes to double the ball and particularly if he's hampered in terms of his speed yeah. I, I think there's going to be even more of an onus on his decision making and for him and RJ it's it's kind of the same thesis like they don't need to be the hero for the Knicks to win this series. Like this is not the Knicks team of two years ago. They're exceptionally deep. They really just don't play bad players, which is is, is quite a strength in the NBA. Um, it doesn't. It, they Randall needs to be great. RJ needs to be good. They don't need to be anything more than that. So uh, to me, that's what it comes down to. All right, let's end on this. Let's let's each give our prediction. I don't know if mm. the other guys are doing this. We probably should have coordinated that better. <laughs> you, know, you, you and I, Gavin, yeah. will will be we'll put our necks out there. We'll give our predictions. Mm. I'm going to go Cavs in seven. I think Cleveland is the better team, even full-strength Knicks, full-strength Cavs. I think Cleveland is better. I think Mitchell's just going to be the best player in this series. I believe in Mobley. I believe in Garland. I think home court advantage is, is it going to be an advantage in this series. So I'm going Cavs in seven, you know, with or without. You know, that's just, I'm going to assume Randall's going to be back and can provide something. So what's your pick? Yeah, maybe maybe a surprise, but I'm going uh, Cavs in six. Um, I predicted the Hawks would, would win. Um last time around and I got a lot of crap for it and it ended up I ended up being optimistic I think I said Hawks in six that time around or maybe Hawks in seven um to me the the fear is that Julius is going to be playing but he's not going to be a hundred percent but he's going to try to be the hero try to be the dude and that Jalen Brunson might have issues with Isaac Okoro like I think he is he is going to by and large be really good to be clear but I think if Randall's not a hundred percent you need Superman Jalen Brunson every game and if there's two games where he's not that if there's one game where he's really disastrous like I I think that could be enough to swing this series if Randall is is a hundred percent somehow some way um I think this series is a total coin flip like I I tend to go like with the Bill Simmons like best player wins the wins the series and that that is probably Donovan Mitchell 
but I think the Knicks have some real advantages here and can really punish the Cavs bench. So, you know what? I'll, I'll revise it. Final, final pick Cavs in seven, but I, I think I think it's going to be a great series. Yeah, I, I can't wait. This is the one I wanted for Cleveland. This is the one I, I like. has all this into it. We just covered the defense. The Cavs even versus the Knicks offense or vice versa. Depending on your point of view. <laughs> Thanks. From a certain point of view. Shall start mm-hmm. Sure. Other side of it, Evan and Alex are going to be talking Knicks uh, defense versus Cleveland's offense. Tune in for that. Thanks again to our great sponsors today. We'll be back at you on Friday ahead of game one on Saturday. Tune in the Lockdown Knicks. Tune in the Lockdown Cavs. It's going to be a really fun series.